0: Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 38. Verse 9 As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at the receipt of customs, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Burkett notes. Observe here the number of our Lord's apostles not being filled up, what a strange election and choice he makes. Matthew. A grinding publican is the man. Learn, such is the freeness of God's grace that it chooses, and such is the efficacy of it that it overpowers and brings in the worst of sinners unto God. Matthew, a publican. Zacchaeus, an extortioner. Manesh, a murderer. Paul, a prosecutor. All these are brought home to God by the power of converting grace. Observe too. Matthew's ready compliance with God's call. He arose and followed Christ. When the inward call of the Spirit accompanies the outward call of the Word, the soul readily complies and presently yields obedience to the voice of God. Christ oftentimes speaks by his words to our ears, and we hear not, we stir not. But when he speaks by his Spirit to our hearts, Satan shall not hold us down. The world shall not keep us back, but we shall arise and follow our Lord and Master. Bishop Hall. Verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Burkett notes. Observe here. Christ invited Matthew to a discipleship. Matthew invites Christ to a feast. The servant invites his master. A sinner invites his Savior. We do not find, wherever Christ was invited to any table, that he refused to go. If a Pharisee, if a publican invited, he constantly went. Not for the pleasure of eating, but for the opportunity of conversing and doing good. Christ feasts us when we feast him. From Matthew's example, learn that new converts are full of affection towards Christ and very expressive of their love unto him, such as before conversion disesteemed him do afterwards kindly and respectfully entertain him. Matthew, touched with a sense of Christ's rich love, makes him a royal feast. Observe further how at this feast many publicans and sinners were present, of Matthew's acquaintance, no doubt, and probably invited by him, that they might also see Christ and be partakers of the same grace with him. Whence we learn that grace teaches a man to desire and seek the conversion of others, and such as are truly brought home to Christ themselves, will study and endeavor to bring in all their acquaintances to Christ also. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Burkett notes, See here what a grief it is to wicked men to find others brought into Christ. The wicked Pharisees murmur, repine, and envy, instead of admiring Christ's condescension and adoring his divine goodness. They censure him for conversing with sinners, but Christ tells them in the following verse that he conversed for them as their physician, not as their companion. Verses 12 and 13. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Burkett notes, As if our Lord had said, With whom should the physician converse, but with his sick patients? Now I am come into the world to do the office of a kind physician unto men. Surely then I am to take all opportunities to help and heal them. They that are sick need the physician. But for you Pharisees, who are whole and well in your own opinion, and swelled with a conceit of your own righteousness, I have no hope of doing any good upon you, for such as think themselves whole desire no physician's help. Learn hence, one, that sin is the soul's malady, its spiritual disease and sickness. Two, that Christ is a physician appointed by God for the cure and healing of this disease and malady. Three, that there are multitudes spiritually sick who yet think themselves sound and whole. Three, that only such as are sensible of their spiritual sickness are subjects capable of cure, and the persons whom Christ is a healing physician to. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Verses 14-17 through Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride-chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth onto an old garment, for that which is put in, to fill it up, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles would break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Burkett notes, The Pharisees themselves had a contention with our Savior in the foregoing verses. Here they set on the disciples of John to contend with him about fasting, alleging that the disciples of John fasted often, Christ's disciples not at all. Our Savior owns it that his disciples did not fast at present for two reasons. One, because it was unsuitable to them. Two, because it was intolerable for them. It was unsuitable to them because of Christ's bodily presence with them. This made it a time of joy and feasting, not mourning and fasting. While Christ the bridegroom is with them, they must feast and rejoice. When removed from them, there will be cause enough to fast and mourn. Christ is the bridegroom and his church the bride, which he has espoused and married to himself. And while his spouse did enjoy his bodily presence with her, it was a day of great joy and rejoicing to her, and mourning and fasting was improper for her. Again, this discipline of fasting was at present intolerable for the disciples, for they were raw, green, and tender, and could no more bear the severities of religion at present than an old garment could bear a piece of new stiff cloth to be set into it, which will make the rent worse if the garment comes to a stretch." nor no more than old bottles can keep new wine. Thus says Christ, My disciples are young and green, tender and weak, newly converted. They cannot bear the severer exercises of religion presently. But when I am ascended into heaven, I will send down my Holy Spirit, which shall enable them to do all the duties which the gospel enjoins. Hence we may gather that young converts, still grown up to some consistency in grace, must not be put upon the severer exercises of religion, but handled with that tenderness and gentleness which becomes the mild and merciful dispensation of the gospel. Our Savior here commends prudence to his ministers, that they not put their people upon duties beyond their strength, but consult their progress in Christianity and the proficiency they have made in religion, and treat them accordingly. Verses 18 and 19. While he spake these things unto them, Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Burkett notes, Observe the humble posture in which this man came unto Christ, namely, falling at his foot and worshipping him, which was not only a sign of tender affection towards his daughter, but as an evidence of his faith in our blessed Saviour. Yet by confining Christ's power to his bodily presence and the touch of his hand was a token of the weakness of his faith. Come, he says, and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. As if Christ could not have cured her without either coming to her or laying his hand upon her. Note here that although all that come to Christ are not alike strong in faith, yet our blessed Redeemer refuses none that come unto him with a sincere faith, though of much weakness of faith. Jesus arose and followed him. Verses twenty, twenty-two. 22 And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Burkett notes, while Christ is on his way to the ruler's house, a diseased woman comes behind him, touches his garment, and is instantly healed. The virtue lay not in her finger, but in her faith, or rather in Christ, which her faith instrumentally drew forth. Observe here how faith oftentimes meets with a sweeter welcome than it could expect. This poor woman came to Christ trembling, but went away triumphing. Christ bids her be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Verses 23 through 26. And when Jesus came into that ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose and the fame thereof went abroad into all that land. Burkett notes, Our Savior being come to the ruler's house finds the people very busy preparing for the interment of the dead corpse, with music and other solemnities. This custom of having music at funerals came from the heathens. No mention is made thereof in the Old Testament. We read of the tearing of flesh, shaving the head, eating the bread of mourners, also of funeral songs, but these were only sung with the voice. But instruments of music at funerals came from the pagans. Weeping and lamentation are the most proper funeral music. Then nothing sounds so well as a sigh, nor is anything so much in season as a tear. Yet are all demonstrations of immoderate and excessive mourning, both hurtful to the living and dishonorable to the dead. Nor is it an argument of more love, but an evidence of less grace." Observe next, in what sense our Savior affirms that the damsel was not dead. She is dead to you, but asleep to me, says Saint Jerome. I can as easily raise her from death as you can awake her out of sleep. Her soul was separated from her body, but not yet fixed in its eternal mansion. Souls departed are under the conduct of angels, good or bad, to their several places of bliss or misery. Probably the soul of this damsel was under the guard of angels near to her dead body, waiting the pleasure of Christ in reference to it, either to restore it again to the body or to translate it to its eternal mansion. Note here that from these words, our Savior, the maid is not dead but sleepeth. The Jesuits plead for their doctrine of equivocations and mental reservations, alleging that when Christ said, She is not dead he reserved in his mind, in respect of my power. But the words of Christ were plainly spoken to those who were preparing for her interment and funeral rites, and accordingly only intimate that she was not so dead as that they needed to make these preparations, he being come to awaken her as out of sleep. Verses 27 to 31. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knows this. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Burkett notes, the rulers and others who came to Christ for cure and healing believed him to be a man unto whom almighty God had communicated divine power. But it is believable that these poor blind men did believe him to be the Messiah by their calling him the son of David. And according to their faith, so was their success. Their faith capacitated them for a cure. But why did our Lord enjoin the blind men's silence and straitly charge them to tell no man of the cure? Herein the great modesty and humility of Christ appeared, in avoiding all ostentation and commendation, as also a due care of his own safety, lest the publishing of his miracles should create him untimely danger from the Pharisee. Verses 32 and 33. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitude marvel, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Burkett notes, Still our Lord goes about doing good. Before he healed the disease, here he helps the possessed. Learn, one, that amongst the many calamities which sin has rendered human nature liable and obnoxious to, this is one, to be bodily possessed by Satan. This man's dumbness was caused by the devil's possession. Learn, two, that one demonstration of Christ's divine power and a convincing evidence of his being truly and really God was his casting out devils by the word of his power. Verse 34. (laughs) But the Pharisees said, He cast out devils through the prince of the devils. Burkett notes, See here the dreadful and sad effects of blindness, obstinacy, and malice. The Pharisees charged Christ with making a contract with the devil affirming that he derived his power from him. But how unlikely was this, that Satan should lend our Savior a power against himself and for the destruction of his own kingdom? Oh, how dangerous is a willful and obstinate opposition to the truth. It provokes God to deliver a person up to the final obduracy. Verses 35 and 36. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Burkett notes, Observe here the Savior's great work and business in this world. It was doing good both to the body and the souls of men, the most pleasant and delightful the most happy and glorious work that a person can be employed about. Two, his unwearied diligence and industry in this great and good work. He went about all the cities and villages preaching the gospel and healing diseases. He traveled from place to place to seek occasions and to lay hold upon all opportunities of being useful and beneficial to mankind. Observe three. The particular instance of our Lord's goodness and compassion towards the people in those cities and villages where he traveled. They wanted the preaching of the gospel, that is, faithful dispensers of it. For though they had scribes and Pharisees to teach them, they instructed them rather in their own traditions than in the simplicity of the gospel. Christ pities the people as sheep without a shepherd. Thence learn that idle and lazy, unskillful and unfaithful laborers in Christ's harvest are no laborers in his account. They were a sheep having no shepherd. He who doth not instruct his flock and feed them with the sincere milk of the word, from a heart full of love to God and a compassion to souls, deserves not the name of a true shepherd. Dr. Whitby. Verses 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Burkett notes, As if Christ has said, there is a great number of people that are willing and prepared to receive instructions, but there are but few who are able to instruct these poor people in the ways of righteousness and truth. Therefore, pray and plead with God that he would provide skillful and faithful ministers to be sent out to preach the gospel throughout the world. Note here 1 that God's church is a harvest field. Two, that the ministers of God are laborers in his harvest, under God, the Lord of the harvest. Three, that to God alone doth it belong to send forth laborers into his harvest, and none must thrust themselves in till God sends them forth. Four, that the number of faithful laborers in God's harvest is comparatively small and few. Five, It is the church's duty to pray, and that, earnestly and incessantly, the Lord of the harvest, to increase the number of faithful laborers, and to increase their faithfulness.